this morning's message, I understand uh, the Word of God, and I understand what it, it tells us, and, and there's great scriptures about greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. I know that God is all-powerful. I know God is almighty. And I know that the enemy is absolutely no challenge to God whatsoever. There is not a wrestling match going on. If the enemy's won one of three and God's coming back here in the tail end of the age, no, it's victorious. We are victorious. The church is victorious. God is always victorious. But from the day that you said yes to God, the enemy has said, uh-uh. Uh-uh, we're going to do something about that. So you uh, are on the enemy's hit list. He has devised a plan in the pits of hell to ruin your walk with God, to stumble you and to destroy you and to get you to throw in the towel that we call this Christian walk. Now, it's funny because it seems like the enemy is quite uh, victorious at this, and I believe because we uh, led him, we led him. And so we're going to look at the Word of God uh, this morning and hopefully uh, some time at the altar so God can illuminate and show you things that the enemy is trying to set you up. Set you up. I have been saved for, uh, let me go, I don't know, like 37 years. I've been preaching the Word maybe 26 years. And I have never seen the enemy come in and destroy someone just by kind of like jumping out of the corner. Gotcha! I mean, really never. It's always a little there and a little here, a little subtle thought there, a little subtle idea there, a little somebody he brings into your life, a little something he takes out of your life, and the next thing you know, you're hook, line, and sinker. So we're going to look to God to expose this. And we're living in a day and age, certainly in the church, certainly in the world, that you just kind of let anything go. You know, if you want to, no problem. If you want to believe this way and it's contrary to the Word of God, you kind of find people believe that way and you start your own thing. I mean, we just we just are. We're living in that day and age. And if you live in it so long, like, well, just for instance, like when I was young, abortion was unheard of. It was an absolute murder. It was a disgrace. It was about the lowest thing. Now it's a business. It's a business. So kids that are being born now or 18 are graduating from high school, it's like a business. Profitable. It makes billions of dollars. And so the enemy seems to do stuff like that little by little by little by little. And he has a plan and devise it and try to hatch it into your life to destroy your walk with God. Title this morning's message is called Little Foxes. Little Foxes. Decided to start off with Ecclesiastes 10.1. It says, Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. Stinking. So doeth a little folly. Him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Those of you who are supposed to know, supposed to walk in the holiness of Almighty God, understanding that you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. God tells us just a little folly is like one stinking fly in the ointment. To those of you who are supposed to be walking in the, in the wisdom and reputation of being a Christian. Folly simply means lack of good sense. What's happened to common sense? What's happened to it? 
I mean, lots of times we wouldn't do things because it just doesn't make any sense. And so we see that folly means a lack of good sense or normal prudence and foresight. Meaning you, you deviate just a little, you should have the sense to look down the road and think, man, uh-uh, that's a bad choice. We live in a day and age now that there doesn't seem to be any common sense. And I am one that believes that common sense comes from the Word of God. Something that God has put inside of us, like the conscience. Where is that conscience? Here's my elbow, here's my thumb, here's my nose. Where's that conscience? Yet it's there, and it works. Until we sear it with a hot iron. And then we can do what we want, which is what we like. Just a little folly, God says. Not right now that you decide to go out on a big drunken binge. You're going to spend all your money. You're going to walk to California. You're going to party. You're going to walk back. No, God just says a little. Just a little folly. New King James says, <clears throat> Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and causes it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. That's what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be the light of the world. Integrity, honor, respect, standing for something. And God says, just a little folly. Go to the restaurant. Buy some great meal, some little meal. Whatever it is, doesn't matter. You're waiting. You're starved. They come back. They place the plate on your table. You go like this. And you find a little hair, or maybe a long hair. Who is going to go, oh well. I mean, maybe, I'm sure some dudes do. But it's like it's over. It's absolutely over. If it was my wife and she's found some stuff in her food, it's almost a throw-upsville. It's just that gross and that, oh, I can't. And God is saying just a little. He didn't say a, a head full of hair found in your spaghetti. A lump of it. It's just this little bit of a folly. A little bit of thing that you think, what's the big deal? And God says, it is. Because you can't see like I see. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the... He sees it. He sees what it's going to do to you. And you, by faith, even though you don't totally understand, you wish you could do it, you like to do it, but you won't do it. Because God has told you. The enemy is out to defile and destroy your testimony. Your testimony. Ecclesiastes 9.18 says, Wisdom, listen to this, Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroyeth much good. One little dumb thing. One insignificant silly thing. One mistake. One flub up can ruin a whole year of solid testimony. One little thing. And so the enemy, I'll, I'll never forget the a message that Bruce preached way back in the little sanctuary where he had his fishing rod and pole and, and had the tackle box with all the different bait. And he acted like the enemy as he threw this thing into the congregation just trying to get a bite. And if he didn't get a bite, he would change lures lures to lure you. One little fly to get you to strike. And you have, and you've done, and you will. And right now, the enemy's throwing them into your life right now. 
Some of you might have already been. And you think, well, he hasn't. I don't feel. No, he's just letting you play. Sin is fun for a season. Until the enemy goes, okay, set the hook. And he's got you. Folly, a little folly. <clears throat> That's why Ecclesiastes 7.1 tells us a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. A good name. Strive to keep a good name. Christian is your name. Strive to keep that. Better than precious ointment. Second Samuel 12.14 Howbeit, listen, I wonder how many times this could be said about you and I. Howbeit because by this deed, what you've done, what you're doing, or what you're planning on doing, thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. To blaspheme. Man, all through my Christian walk, I've always had people say, well, if that's a Christian, that's what that's talking about because they've seen some deed that this dude's doing, and so the world says, well, if that's a Christian. And when you're proclaimed to be a Christian and you're doing that deed, you give the enemies of the cross great ammo to blaspheme the Lord. It's exactly what happened. Revelation 12:11 tells us this, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Who's the him in this? And they overcame him. Verse 9 tells us, and this the great dragon that was cast out, the old serpent called the devil. This is the one. You overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and this testimony that God... Once I was blind, but now I see. This great testimony that God has given you. And so the enemy comes around to putrefy it and defile it just with one little dead fly. Testimony. Simply means a public profession of a religious experience. All of you, every one of you have a testimony. Everyone. And they are all of great value. Just because one has been stabbed 59 times, shot seven times, and still lives, does not mean his testimony is greater than the other. If you have a testimony that once you was blind and now you see, that is most valuable. Absolutely most valuable. It is the enemy's job to ruin your testimony of the goodness of God toward mankind, to absolutely ruin it. Now listen, simple little scripture found in Galatians. Everyone knows it probably. A little leaven, what's the rest of it? A little, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. That's what God says. This is the lump. How do you want to amen that? That's all right. This is the lump. And God says just a little leaven in this lump somewhere enters somehow little leaven through the thought, through the eyes, through the mouth, through the ears, through the senses, somehow leaveneth the entire lump. A little. We cannot handle leaven. <clears throat> little leaven is, the definition of that is like moral corruption and how it infects others. It does. It infects other. Leaven spreads. Leaven just does. Most of you probably made bread. You know, you, you beat it silly and it's about this big. And you stick to a little bit of yeast, which is like a leaven. You cover it up and the next day that thing just went. It's exactly what God is telling you and I. And these things are little foxes. These are things that you think, what's the big deal? It doesn't matter. I, no, this is impossible, Pastor. I just don't. And you let it go. 
And then the leaven does its work. It just spreads through. Leaven is applied to your life, which is always in small, small quantity, always. Yet throughout spreads its thing and its influence and its scum all through your life. And most times without detection. To ourselves, we look at ourselves every day in the mirror. We think, you haven't changed, you haven't changed, you haven't changed until you just run into a stranger and that you knew like 30 years ago and you can tell in their face that you look different to them. Just a little bit ruins it all. Absolutely ruins it all. All through my walk, I have seen people who are no longer serving God that their life was ruined by something little. Something little in the beginning that just swayed them, just turned their head a little bit, just jerked it a little bit, just a glimpse, just a something. And on down the road, it has absolutely destroyed them. Now, they are off having children and marriages and the things of God is not included. Now their children are raised and now it is destroying them as now their children are starting getting married just because a little folly. The Bible tells us and warns us in Genesis 3.1 that now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? More subtle. Please understand this and get this, even though throughout the years we have preached on stuff like this. More subtle, crafty, and sly is what the enemy is. What the enemy is. Proverbs tells us, the New Living Test, uh, Translation tells us in Proverbs 6, just a, a little extra sleep, just a, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And it goes on and says, and poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. What's the key word all through that? Little, 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 little. Because the enemy knows if he just gives us a little, we always kind of fluff it off. What's the big deal? Just a little. Song of Solomon 2.15 says, Take us, the foxes, the little foxes, that spoil the vine, for our vines have tender grapes. The idea here is you and I have been planted in the vineyard of God, grafted in the vine, so we sprout out from God, and we are this vine, and we are to produce flowers that then will produce fruit. Okay, and what the foxes would do, foxes are jackals, they take them both in that name, they would go and just eat the grapes, they would just eat the fruit. The church seemingly almost has no fruit to attract people. And so the little foxes, little foxes, not some big elephant coming through, little. Watch a fox, YouTube a fox. Just see how he goes and scampers and real low from bush to bush. And then he eats all the grapes and you got a nothing but a vine with no fruit. And God tells us right here. New Living Translation, same verse. It says, quick, catch all the little foxes before they ruin the vineyard of your love. For the grapevines are all in blossom. And that's what the enemy does. He tries to disguise things. And the little foxes run through the vineyards of your life, up and down the rows of that which God has planted. He's looking for fruit and growth. And, and the Song of Solomon says, quick, catch them! For we all have them, by the way. Little foxes, insignificant things. Irrelevant things to you, to your natural thing, not worth mentioning things. That's how we get blindsided by the enemy. That's how we get tricked, irrelevant, irrelevant. I never meant, I never thought, this is, can you, what? 
That's why Psalms 139.23, be like the psalmist when he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. I don't even know my heart. In the depths of wickedness that it could take me unchecked by the Spirit of God. Search me, O God. You come up to the altar and go, I ain't doing none of that, God. I don't think none of that. No, you're not going to go anywhere. You tell God, God the Spirit, who can divide between soul and spirit, search me, search me, O God. Now let's look at an account, and I know it'll be familiar to you, and because it's familiar, you run the risk of throwing it all at him. I know, I know, I heard this. I preached on it, I thought, I'd do better than he does. Okay? 1 Chronicles 28.1. I forget the translation I wrote it, I don't think it's King James. Maybe it is. Now David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of Israel, the officers of the tribes and the captains of the divisions who served the king, the captains over thousands, the captains over hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the king and of his sons, with the officials, the valiant men, and all the mighty men of war. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people! I have had it in my heart to build a house for rest of the Ark of the Covenant for the Lord. He's announcing this. And for the footstool of our God. And he had made preparations to build it. But God has said to me, David declares, you shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. And that's true. All through David's life, he was a man of war, fighting off the enemy, trying to win victory for God so that Israel could be united and have peace. And God is now saying and declaring to David, because bloodshed, this is what he was called to do. God says, because of bloodshed, you cannot build my house. And he had everything ready. All his places were full of the lumber and everything he needed. But David was a man of war. And then something happened. In 2 Samuel 11.1, 1, very strange. It says, It happened in the spring of the year, at the times when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon, besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. A tremendous victory. Now, I brought out that first part to show you the Scripture. That David was always in the battle, always fighting, victory for God, taking the spoils, Israel's growing, getting powerful. I'm going to build this house. And God says, nice idea, but because of all the bloodshed, someone else will build it. And so now we see it's in the spring of the year, because when winter would come, all war would cease. Just couldn't function. It's like we have a hard time functioning in the winter. But when spring would come around, it says it happened. In the spring of the year, at the time of when kings go out to battle, kings, David, in the spring coming, the thaw, you're getting ready for battle, sharpening your swords and axes and spears, and David, a man of war, of much war, much victories, much battle, said, you know what? Tired out. I think Joab should go. What's the big deal? Joab went, they defeated the enemy. In that, in that chapter 11, chapter 10 was the enemy with Ammon, and then winter came, they couldn't finish the battle. So when spring came back, back after they went, 
He's a man of war, constantly in battle, fight after fight after fight. What's the big deal? He takes one off. Who would have ever sit on that board, at the head of board, and it said, David, you don't deserve off. The way we do things, the way we vote, the dude's been battling all his life. Give him a break. We about kicked Ammon anyway. Won't be a big deal. Joab knows what to do. He's a seasoned warrior. And so David, it's irrelevant, right? Irrelevant. What's the big deal? One time, insignificant. It's one battle out of 400. And so he didn't go. David sent Joab. David remained at Jerusalem. When we know that the king was supposed to be out, at war, with his troops, with his army, in the spring. But it didn't seem like a big thing. Now, I have justified many times. I said, man, I've done this over and over and over and over and over. What's the big deal if I just passed this one time? I used to tell God in the beginning days, that's a scary statement there. You'll understand here why in a little bit. In the beginning days, I would say, God, any funeral comes my way because people outside of this church will pass away and they don't go to church. Never been to church. And sometimes the funeral directors will call here. So I've told God in the beginning days, anytime there's a funeral come my way, I will not pass it up. I will look at it as an opportunity, an opportunity to give them the word of God, whether I know them or not. That was 20, almost 21 years ago. And sometimes I'll get a call now and I'll go, no, big deal. Just, just, and I almost did that until in the last year. I can't even remember the funeral. There's so many. I just can't even remember. And yet as I, as I, I went through it, I could see these various people from years ago that I knew that we talked later and afterwards. They're just blown. What's the big deal? One more. Joab can handle it. Galatians 5.16 tells us this. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It's kind of like that dipstick of oil you have in your motor. That thing must remain at a certain level. It gets very dangerous. The same thing as walking in the Spirit, staying in the things of God, in the church, hearing the Word of God that produces faith, worshiping God that keeps you humble and submitted to the Word of God, going to the altar. Humbling yourself before God is like constantly walking in the Spirit of God. You start backing off from that. You're not the same person. Ask your wife. You're not the same person. God says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh because you will catch it. You'll hear that twig crack behind you, and you'll be ready. If you're not, you won't. You won't hear it. If David had his attention where God wanted it and said where it should be, he would never put his attention, attention where God didn't want it. God says, it's spring. You're to be in battle with your people. That's where your attention goes. Okay. But because of his life, compromises, all the little insignificant, didn't realize it was a fox, he stayed back. And it came to pass an evening tide that David arose from off his bed, walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. <clears throat> the Hebrew verb for this word walk suggests that David was pacing. Man, I should have went. I bet you I should have went. I didn't. I wonder how the battle's going. I wonder if God's upset at me. He wasn't just, man, this is great. 
it was kind of like a pace, a nerve. You ever get nervous and just pace at home and, and kind of wonder what you kind of feeling like you let something down and you should have and you, you didn't and he couldn't sleep and he was uneasy. Uneasy because he wasn't where God wanted him to be. Bible says God gives his saints peace, rest, sleep. We see that the Lord slept in the midst of a storm. Remember the junior church song? I don't even know if we do it here anymore. If you don't, you should. But remember that little song? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, that's good for the little kids. We should probably have them learn. Seriously. I mean, gee. So David's pacing back and forth, pacing back. He's somewhere where he shouldn't be. He's all twisted and hyped up where he shouldn't be. He should be out in the war, anointed of God to do his job. He stayed back. What's the big deal, man? I'm so wore out. Now we find him on the roof. You know the story. For whatever reason, Bathsheba was up there. Maybe she's wanting looked at. Whatever it was, it catches his eye. All of a sudden, David is seeing something he's not even supposed to be seeing. Be careful, little eye. Be careful, little ears. And you all have those. And God's telling us today that there's a plan. Foxes are in your vineyard. Unaware. Just like all those suspense movies you'll see, it's usually some girl walking around, you'll see a shadow run behind them. They have no clue. They might sense something, but have no idea where it's at. God does. He sees it all. He's watching it all in your life. David sent. Then he goes again. This little insignificance, the big deal, man, I'm going to kick back and watch the game. I never can understand that. DVR the game. Seriously. Why do you blow off church and what God might have to say? What worship and how far you might go in the heavenlies? David now scents and inquires. Man, who is that? Nice looking for him. Inquires after the woman. One said, is it not Bathsheba? The wife of Uriah. What, shouldn't that set off an alarm? Shouldn't David win? Oh. <clears throat> wife? Doesn't that mean anything? Matthew 5.27 says, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. That small little gesture as a look. A look. God says, don't look. It's a fox. It's a jackal. It's a lure. We're like, come on, man, let's speak. I, I just heard it said not too long ago that everyone looks, must do a lot of that, must kingdom, because we're pushing 70% of divorce rate. Just that little glance, that little lie, that small compromise. I mean, we have some thick-headed, dumb men. We do. We do. We are. And a lot of them are husbands for some reason. I don't know. Why? Never give their wife a compliment, never hug them, never say a word to them, never get anything precious to them. They go off to work and some dude says, man, nice dress, like that, and then walks away. One little incident, nice, nice dress. My husband don't even off and running. David now sends messengers. It's funny, in the Word of God, you don't see... Bathsheba putting up a big fight. David sent messengers and took her, and she came in on him and lay with her. For she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. That purified from her uncleanness means she just had her woman 
uh, menstrual period. And they said that for a purpose. She just finished that. Then he took her. And then we see down the road, uh uh-oh, she's pregnant. Her husband's not home. It has to be Dave. One little, you know what? I'm so wore out from battle. I'm so tired. We've had such great victories. God's been awesome. Our treasure houses are full. I think I'm just going to lay back and take a little break. Moab, Joab, would you go out there and take care of that for me? And went out there and wiped them out. And I probably thought, Sarah, see? It's good. Good job. Way to go, Joab. And then all of a sudden, things unravel. One little look, one little glance. He's somewhere he shouldn't be. He's off into it. And now they got this huge problem, and you know the end results. You don't know them, read them. David ends up calling his son or his husband, her husband. Oh, come on back. You need a rest. Go see your wife. He was hoping he'd jump in bed with his wife, and then they would think that David's baby was his. But the guy had so much integrity while his partners, uh, warriors out there were fighting, he would not. David got him drunk even, and he still wouldn't. He slept on the outside porch. Man of integrity and character. So David then concocts a plan to just send him up front. He's a great warrior. He loves Israel. He'll fight to the death. And while he's all up there with 200 men, 199 fall back and leave him up there. That's what happened just from I don't feel like going today. I go all the time. Just from that one little thing, we have an unwanted pregnancy. We have the murder of a trusted friend, Uriah, probably in that front line going, for the king and for God and the glory, and died. He didn't know it that his king David sold him out. Then the baby dies. Then there's a dead baby on the scene. And then when Solomon is of age, Solomon acts just like his dad with umpteen million, million women. All from not just being where he was supposed to be when God said be there. All from just one little glance, one little look, one little filthy picture, one little drink, one little joint, one little drug, one little something, one little email to somebody you shouldn't be emailing, one little Facebook, one little, one little, one, one, one boxes to destroy you, to kill you. Roman says this, I have a little clip for you, you can start killing lights, Lorraine. The clip's not very long, it won't last long. When it's over, it's all recall time. Look, this is to make you aware This is to make you be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, is walking through your place. It says this, for sin, and this is what a fox is. The jackals, their sin. The lures, their sin. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me. There are stuff going on right now. Not necessarily unholy things unrighteous thing, things going on that God says deceives my people. It's a ploy. It looks good. Smells good. But the enemy's just letting you run. Have your fun. Jumping out. Just run. Going deep. Having pleasure. And he's about to set the hook. Now look, I've talked to a lot of people that the hook was set and set deep that loved me. And I would say, what are you doing? Look, that loved me, loved me, loved Ruth, loved the work here. More than that, loved God. And I said, what are you doing? And they would say, get away. Get away from me. I'd write them letters. They'd throw them away. That's what happens to us when we're deceived. 
and sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, listen, and by it slew me. That's the end result of sin. And that's what the enemy's doing. And he'll use anything possible, any means, good things, bad things, horrible things, bad habits, anything, anything to ruin it. The fox is sin. We have a little short clip. You can kill the rest of the lights if you like, Lorraine. At the end of that, I hope to see you at the altar.